I am he. Well, I would invite you uh, to turn in or point and click to uh, John chapter 4 in your Bible or Bible app. Uh, that is where we will be hanging out uh, here this morning. Uh, and as you turn there, you know, something that I share with uh, you all on the regular, if you've been around here, is how I, I guess you could say, I didn't grow up doing this, this whole church and God thing. Uh, but what I don't always get to share is what changed all of that. Uh, and in a series that's entitled Meet Jesus, um, I want to share with you how it is that I first met Jesus. Uh, I grew up in uh, South Carolina, uh, where you could say in uh, the high school land that I was a part of, I, you could say, slipped through the, the cracks in the social structures that drive much of adolescent group dynamics. Uh, but in spite of that, I had two close friends, and uh, the challenge was that if one of those two close friends weren't in my lunch hour, if they weren't in there, then it's like I was out. And so what I would do, uh, it was a large high school, thousands of students, huge cafeteria, and so I would just grab my tray of food, and I would just kind of start doing laps around this cafeteria as if to be looking for my group of friends that I should be sitting with, uh, all the while just picking away at my uh, lunch, just killing time to get out of there as quickly as I could to get out of this social psychology case study of which I was a lab rat in. And so I remember in high school, I was through, going through a difficult season when one of these uh, two friends of mine uh, invited me and our other friend to join him at church. And I remember um, finally accepting, finally saying yes, and walking into uh, this like Wednesday evening deal where they had like a, like a dinner and everyone's seated around these, um, like, those, like those round church tables where they comfortably sit seven with a meal. Well, somehow uh, at this table that seats seven, they had fit like 17. Uh, 17 kids are crammed, obviously, like these are their people, their group. And so as I walked up on this group, I, mean, I can visually remember kind of, you know, like, like traumatic, like it's like, here we go again, you know? It's a classic case of everybody having their spot and me kind of on the outside looking in. When for me, again, historically, I kind of look back at this as like the equivalency for my story of like God parting the Red Sea as somehow these 17 made just a little bit of space uh, and invited me to join them at their table, to which I was sharing a seat uh, half on and half off with a complete stranger, uh, just a little awkward there. Uh, but quickly um, across the table, hey, what's your name, and uh, so what school, a couple schools in the community, like, so what school do you go to? Uh, hey, we have this Bible study, like, up the hill after, it's like where the youth group met, uh, after dinner, if you want to join us, uh, and then after uh, the Bible study, they're like, hey, it was great having you, Brian, we'd love to see you next week. I come back, they remember my name, and, and they included me, they accepted me, and I experienced in this church a group that you could say, unlike uh, the cliques and the groups uh, of like the uh, social dynamic in the high school that seems to create lines to keep people out, this group found a way 
to create a space and a place to get me in. And I could, I guess you could say experience what, um, what Pastor Wayne, uh, if you guys are from Pastor Wayne's our former lead pastor here, he says it all the time. Uh, I experienced the tangible touch of Jesus Christ in these students and the adults in these church. Uh, and I wanted what they had. I wanted uh, what they had. I wanted to be to other students what these students had been to me. And really, I discovered that that common denominator, what I was experiencing, was all rallied around the person of Jesus Christ, the gospel, the good news of Jesus accepting us, forgiving us, and including him into his family and to his story. And so what I experienced personally in this church is, you could say, the experience that we find in the person that we meet who met Jesus nearly 2,000 years ago, uh, known throughout history as the woman at the well. In fact, it was my personal connection to this particular story as to how I connected to Christ that when I first came on staff here as a youth minister back in 2004, we actually named our youth ministry The Well uh, based on this idea that we always wanted to be a place where kids can meet Jesus. Uh, And even though we don't carry that name, the uh, philosophy of ministry there has not changed a bit. In fact, Heather, our family ministries pastor, she's currently in a series with our students uh, in Student Life where they are helping students articulate and understand their own story of meeting Jesus so that they can help others meet Jesus as well. And so kiddos, if you are like 6th through 12th grade or uh, you, know, you have a 6th through 12th grader in your life, I'd encourage them to come out tonight. It's from 4.30 to 6 in the East Auditorium. It's our last student life of the spring, but they're going to be kicking off our uh, summer calendar here tonight. can be a part of that and be a part of, uh, I don't know if the band's playing tonight too after the whole weekend, but uh, very cool stuff. Very thankful for what we have going on and what Heather's leading us there. And so with that understanding in mind, this place that we can come to meet Jesus, let's uh, discover how this woman at a well does just that, meets Jesus in John chapter 4. Follow with me, starting in verse 4. It says, now he, being Jesus, he had to go through Samaria, or really you could say he chose to go through Samaria. And so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, he sat down by the well, and it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came, she came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Now, in the ancient world in this time, uh, the community's water source, uh, in this case the water well, would have been the equivalent of like, like the coffee shop or the cafe of our day. In fact, that is the heartbeat of our Mosaic Cafe ministry here in the church. It's not just a place for us on the weekends to get a coffee before church, that it is designed intentionally to be a place not only where we connect between services or after services or prior to services, but actually throughout the week. This place is, if you're never around, it's like hustling and bustling with all kinds of people who don't necessarily go to our church who are making connections with people from our church that we hope will connect them to to meet Jesus in their life. So I love that we have that ministry, the modern day well, if you will, if you will for us here in the church. Uh, and so with that, um, in, the, in the Bible times, in the case of the well, what people would do is they would tend to go uh, to the well early in the morning or maybe at the latest uh, at the end of the day just to beat the heat of the day. And there they would draw water, and of course, they would, they would connect with one another. They would uh, relationally be together. But this woman, as you notice maybe in the story, she was not there in the cool of the morning or in the cool of the evening, but it says that she was there around noon, right in the heat of the day. Now, why is this? 
Well, actually to avoid the very thing that would be happening early in the morning, to avoid having to socialize, having to interact, uh, to ensure that she wouldn't have to see anyone, or maybe more accurately, that she wouldn't have to be seen by anyone. And the reason for this, for her, we discover as we read on. Verse 7. It says, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? You see, his disciples, they had gone into town to buy food. And so it's just the two of them. And the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and, and I am a Samaritan woman. How could you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And so what this woman is identifying is what Jesus would have also known is these cultural barriers, these walls that were put up that Jesus, he takes down immediately. Two key cultural and social walls. And that the first uh, wall he tears down is the, the inappropriate wall that it would have been for a rabbi in the first century to talk with a woman. And we talked a little bit about this last week, that sadly the brokenness between and within men and women as a result of uh, the brokenness brought into our world from our great-great-great-grandparents, Adam and Eve, and the fall and sin that entered it and how that broke all of that. And so living in that reality, no rabbi would have talked to a woman. And then secondly, no Jew would have associated with a Samaritan. And this is due to racial and relational strife between the two groups that dates back centuries. And so here you have, in this interaction between Jesus and this woman, you have a male Jewish rabbi initiating a conversation with a Samaritan woman, and would have been unheard of in those times. And so with that, Jesus, it's more than this, he does more than just, you could say, talk with her, or talk to her, ask her for something, uh, because in those times, in that day, to, to ask someone for a drink... That would have been like the cultural equivalent uh, of me walking up to you in a room or having you into my home and extending a handshake uh, of welcome, of greeting, of receiving. And so this is a, a symbolic thing that Jesus is doing. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, he responds, actually, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, well, sir, give me this water so that I won't be thirsty and have to keep coming back to this well to draw water. And what Jesus draws out of her next is the reason that we see that she is here in the heat of day, avoiding interacting with anyone else. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, well, go call your husband and come back. To which she replied, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right. You are right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands. And the man you have now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. 
Well, sir, the woman said, uh, certainly surprised. I I can see that you are a prophet. Uh, And then from there, what we're going to see is she actually tries to redirect the conversation away from, you could say, the personal discomfort of her personal life to more more safe, impersonal theological topics. Uh, As she goes on saying, well, well, our our ancestors, they worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews, you, you claim that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. A woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You see, you Samaritans, you worship what you do not know, but we worship what we do know, for salvation comes from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. In other words, there's a time coming when all these walls between Jews and Samaritans, men and women, and all the other kinds of walls that divide us will be broken down. As it says in verse 24, that God, you see, he is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. And so the woman said, concluding all this, well, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. To which then Jesus declares, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. And so with that, I would invite us all to take in this scene from the chosen on how that conversation may have taken place. Hungry? Almost there. What city is that? Jezreel, the southernmost town in Galilee. From there we veer east to the Jordan River. Rabbi, where are you going? Do you need something? This way, friends. I'm sorry, but the map shows that Jezreel is two miles southeast of here and is met by a road east of the Jordan. We need to adjust our course 30 degrees We're to... not going to the Jordan. We're going through Samaria. Are you telling a joke? There's a place that I want to stop. Plus, it makes our journey shorter by almost half. And our odds of violent attack more likely by double. <laughs> Is that an exact figure? Forgive me, teacher, but it's safer to go around Samaria by way of the Jordan and not the Capitalists. Would you join me for safety reasons? But, Rabbi, we're Samaritans. Good observation, Big James. What's your point? Rabbi, these were the people that profaned our temple with the dead bones. They, they hated they us. They fought against us with the Seleucids in the Maccabean Wars. I've never even spoken to a Samaritan. And we destroyed their temple a hundred years ago. And none of you here were present for any of these things. Give me a drink. Did you hear me? That's bad, huh? 
What? You, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan, and a woman. I'm sorry. I should have said please. You know, it's not safe for you to be alone out here. Nor you. Why haven't you come with others? Why so late in the day? Don't women come to the wells in the, the cool of the morning? Yeah, well, none of them will be seen with me, so I have to come at noon in the heat, as you have so kindly reminded me. Why won't they be seen with you? Long story. I, I'd still like a drink of water if you can spare it. Amazing what a parched throat will do. Aren't I unclean to you? Won't you be defiled by this vessel? Maybe some of my people say that about your women, but I don't. Yeah? And what do you say? I say if you knew who I am, you'd be asking me for a drink. Really? And I would give you living water. Would. Except that you have nothing to draw water with, and this is a deep well. Besides, what do you need from me if you have your own supply of living water? Long story. But Jewish water is better than Samaritan water. Hmm? That's not what I said. Are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob, who dug this well? Your water is better than his? I know Jacob. And everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. Wouldn't that be nice? The water I give will become in a person a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Really? Yes, really. Prove it. First, go and call your husband and come back. I will show you both. I don't have a husband. You are right. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. <laughs> oh, I see. You're a prophet. You're here to preach at me. No. Usually the one good thing about coming here alone is I can escape being condemned. I'm not here to condemn you. I've made mistakes. Too many. But it's men like you who have made it impossible for me to do anything about it. How? Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews insist Jerusalem is the only place for true worship. They say that because the temple is there. Yeah, exactly where we're not allowed. I'm here to break those barriers. And the time is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. So, where am I supposed to go when I need God? I've never received anything from God, but I couldn't thank him even if I did. Anywhere. God is spirit, and the time is coming and is now here that it won't matter where you worship, but only that you do it in spirit and truth. Heart and mind, that, that is the kind of worshiper he's looking for. It won't matter where you're from or what you've done. Do you believe what I'm telling you? 
until the Messiah comes. It explains everything and sorts this mess out, including me. I don't trust in anyone. You're wrong when you say that you've never received anything from God. This Messiah you speak of, I am he. The first one was named Ramin. You were a woman of purity who was excited to be married. But he wasn't a good man. He hurt you. And it made you question marriage and even the practice of your faith. Stop it. The second was Farzad. On your wedding night, his skin smelled like oranges. And to this day, every time you pass by the oranges in the market, you feel guilty for leaving him because he was the only truly godly man you've been with. But you felt unworthy. Why are you doing this? I have not revealed myself to the public as the Messiah. You are the first. It would be good if you believed me. You picked the wrong person. I came to Samaria just to meet you. <laughs> Do you think it's an accident that I'm, I'm here in the middle of the day? I am rejected by others. I know. But not by the Messiah. And you know these things because you are the Christ. I'm going to tell everyone. I was counting on it. <laughs> Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. It won't be all about mountains or temples. Soon. Just the heart. You promised. I promise. This man told me everything I've done. Oh, he must be the Christ! <laughs> hey, wait! Your water! You forgot your arm! One thing that I love, there's a lot that I love about that scene. Uh, but one of the things that I really am thankful for is the way in which is demonstrated the interaction between Jesus and this woman by the sequence, the order in which Jesus ministers to her. And that as we notice that he doesn't lead with, he doesn't start off the conversation by pointing out how sinful she is. Uh, she knows what's going on is not where she needs to be. And so he doesn't start off saying, hey, to get this thing started, let's get your act together, and then I'll extend a welcome uh, to you. No, Jesus knows the power of meeting him, of meeting Jesus first, who then has the power to change you. And I would suggest that anecdotally, it's 
getting this backwards that has led to more people missing Jesus than arguably any other. That I've had conversations where there's just something along the lines, well, I need, once I get this sin or this struggle figured out, then I'll be ready to talk about meeting Jesus or coming to church. But that's not how it works. Jesus doesn't tell her or us to first get our act together and then we'll be worthy to meet him, to meet Jesus. No, it is in the meeting of Jesus that we experience the power that then does the transforming of us. You see, what uh, theologians throughout time has understood how this takes place within us, uh, or what, what they might call sanctification, as we are kind of, you know, understood to kind of pursue the ways of God. And, and it's been uh, parceled out, as you could say, definitive sanctification and progressive sanctification. These are kind of the, the uh, $10 words on that, with this idea that instant or definitive sanctification, it's, it's what takes place when you, by the grace of God, place your faith in, your trust in, your allegiance to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord as, uh, as celebrated in our baptism. And that through Jesus' sacrificial work on the cross, you could say that in an instant, we are defined as, we are definitively sanctified and made right with God through Jesus Christ. And then from there, that the rest of your life is from there, the gift, the grace of God through the Holy Spirit. We've got people going to get baptized, which is super exciting. Um, they just want to be late. I understand that. Uh, so coming out of that, uh, we are progressively, you could say, really just the mission of our church, that as we are instantly sanctified by the work of Christ, then from there, we spend the rest of our life also by the grace and the gift of God, becoming more and more of who he's become uh, or created us to become, as we say in our mission, that we are becoming progressively more devoted followers of Jesus Christ, that we progressively become what he has done perfectly within us definitively through his death on the cross, and then three days later, after being buried, rising from that death to new life. You see, the way that plays out in our life is that you could say, Jesus, he loves you enough to say, come, just the way you are, come as you are. But he also loves you enough to not leave you as you are, to not leave you where you came from. It's why Jesus does say that you have to count the costs of what it means to place your faith in and commit to following him because it's going to cost you the old way of doing things. And so Jesus, he says, come as you are, but don't stay as you are. Because any way in which you came to Jesus other than the ways of Jesus is not gonna be God's best way for you and your life. As already alluded to, uh, each week we've been celebrating this reality, this transformation taking place in people's lives through baptisms, of which, uh, again, we're gonna have some here in just a few minutes. Uh, but just as a reminder, like this story, this good news of Jesus, that's what our baptism is all about. Uh, it, it summarizes it in Romans 6, 4. It says that just as Christ died and was buried and rose to new life, we too, we die too, we bury our way of life and rise to the new life that Jesus has uh, in an instant, definitively rising up to new life, but also from there progressively becoming more and more of what it is that he has for us until we can experience it perfectly in eternity. And so this woman, this woman at the well, uh, as we see, she is the first to hear and be invited to know Jesus 
as the Messiah publicly, as the Christ, as the Savior, as living water that wells up into eternal life. And I love what was just starting there that takes place from there. Verse 28, we saw it says, and she just leaves her water jar, which to me kind of symbolizes, I'm just leaving the past behind. And the woman says that she, in verse 28, she went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And so a woman who wouldn't interact with anyone is now proclaiming because of the work that Jesus is doing in her all that she has experienced, that they might too. Verse 30, and it says that they came out of the town and they made their way toward him. And then if you would jump down to verse 39, it says that many of the Samaritans from that town, they believed in him because of the woman's testimony, her personal story that he told me everything I ever did. And so when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay uh, with him, stay with them, and he stayed two more days. And because of his words, many more became believers because they met Jesus. And they said to the woman, verse 42, we no longer believe just because of what you have said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the savior of the world. I love this connection that this woman doesn't just give her life to Christ and end there, but she couldn't help but then give her story, her testimony of encountering Christ and inviting others to know him, where as a result, verse 41, many more became believers. And really, here's the big takeaway for the story uh, that we see here at the encounter for the woman at the well, that when we meet Jesus, that we get to invite others to meet Jesus as well. That's it. When we meet Jesus, we get to, we don't have to, we get to invite others to meet the Jesus that we have met. It really is that simple. And I know some of you think, man, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I'm good enough. Or uh, probably more common than that I get is the, I don't know if I know enough to be able to tell someone about my faith or come invite them to church. Like, like what if they have questions that I don't have answers for? Like, I don't feel like I know the Bible enough. Well, let me encourage you, just do what I do when I get a question that I don't know the answer to. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I say that all the time, trust me. And, and I'm the pastor, so if I can do that, I'm sure that all of you can find uh, some understanding in just saying, I don't know, it's okay. Uh, but here's, here, here's kind of the thing, like, if you feel like you're unqualified, I mean, think about being unqualified. Could you think of a probably more unqualified person to have been the first to hear and go proclaim Jesus to the, to the whole community of which he, I mean, think about it. I mean, being married five times and then living with someone that uh, you're not married to, like, that would raise maybe an eyebrow in our day, let alone in those times. And so let me just say, if like you feel unqualified for whatever reason, perfect. Perfect. In fact, I will say on the other side of that, like, if you're like, well, I don't really have like a crazy life story. Uh, and, and to be honest, like, I kind of have my act together and I know a lot of the answers to the tough Bible questions, you know, actually, I kind of feel pretty qualified. Well, good news, God can still use you too. <laughs> it's just that he specializes in those of us who are unqualified. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor BJ, um, in our series, he taught about how the, the, the paralytic uh, met Jesus through the work of his 
friends and how their friends, they carried him on his mat to meet Jesus in this home where he was teaching and it was so crowded they couldn't get in so they go up to the roof and they literally rip a hole in the roof to get their friend to meet Jesus. You could say that they did whatever it took. That was the key takeaway that Pastor BJ had. Like whatever it takes to help others do as this series suggests, to help others meet Jesus. We're willing to do whatever it takes. And each and every one of us, we were challenged to pray for one person or one family member or or family that is, you could say, outside of the house, outside of his house, Jesus' house, the church. And uh, you might, if you were here, we got these little um, like prayer cards. You could write the name or the name of that family there to be praying for him. And so I would encourage you to continue to pray for those people in your lives that God would give you opportunities to invest in that relationship, to invite them into the house, into the church, into the place where they can meet Jesus, where they can develop relationships with you and one another that will encourage their ultimate relationship with the Lord. In fact, we're excited here for some plans that are coming together uh, that we'll share more about with you all here later in the summer and into the fall, where we are investing in and making more room in our worship rooms here in the West Auditorium, as well as the East Auditorium in the days ahead. Uh, And then beyond that, our Mosaic Cafe ministry, kind of our water well, if you will, and the community spaces uh, that are on the other side of these rooms doors. To not just, you could say, make room for those who are here, but so that we can do whatever it takes to create a space and a place for people who are our friends, are our family members, our coworkers, our neighbors, our community, that they might, that they might too, like we, many of us have experienced, verse 42, that they may know that this man really is the savior of the world. And so as we together, corporately, uh, as a church, you could say prayerfully make plans for, you know, maybe the facilities that will help facilitate that future of our church together, I want to challenge you personally to continue to pray for and seek opportunities to do whatever it takes as one who has met Jesus to help others, to invite others, to invest in others, that they too, that they might know, verse 42, that this man, Jesus, that he really is Emmanuel, God with us, came as God in the flesh to experience that he really is the savior of their life and the savior of the world. And so let's pray together as we as a church embark on this by his power at work within us. Lord Jesus, that statement is our prayer, that as we live here thankful as one's uh, who have met Jesus, and, and, if, and if we haven't, if we're here, man, just so thankful for those here in the room or online or East Auditorium who are um, discovering more about who you are. God, and I pray that you would move in their hearts as well, that as we, those of us who have met Jesus, who are in the process here of meeting Jesus and making spaces and places in our lives and in our church for others to meet you, God, that we would be used to that end, that you would allow us the privilege to invest in and to invite other people into that relationship with you because you really are the savior of their life, the savior of the world. For this, we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you here in the uh, West Auditorium and the East Auditorium to stand with me. And then if you're at home, just uh, whatever a proper posture of worship would be for you to right now, 
uh, in our own words, not mine, um, proclaim to God uh, through song our thankfulness for who he is and what he's up to in us and through us as our student life band leads us together. Would you sing to him with me together? Death rose from their tomb. 